All right, Spencer Smith, host of Self-Funded with Spencer. You knew that already. Part three here of the Sales Masterclass. Today's episode to close us out is with Ryan Miller. He's an awesome guy, really interesting conversation, and I really hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Autism exposed itself. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a st- I think I have astigmatism in both eyes. Okay. Which and they told me I wear contacts. I wear those sleep in contacts. Okay. For like a, a month, um, but they said they can only correct so much. Yep. The glasses. If you really want crystal clear vision, you have to go with glasses. Yep. So I have both. But my my wife and my daughter are both like, are you gonna? Are you ever gonna stop wearing your glasses? We really want you to wear your contacts. Again. Yeah. Like, okay. Duly noted. I'll, I'll put on the contacts. Yeah. I don't. But I really don't lose. I don't lose much. It's not like I don't walk around the whole day and go, man, I wish I had my glasses. Yeah. It's not. It's not. Yeah. That see, bad. I don't want that either. It's like um, really fine print. Sometimes after a long day when I'm tired on my phone or something, like it starts to strain a little bit. So I just normally wear them all day in the office, and that's enough for me. As long yeah. as I have them all day in the office. That does good enough. Do they have the blue blocker in them too? Okay, yeah, yeah, because I bought a pair of those on Amazon, almost exact same style you have on right now for twenty bucks, but they're not prescription; they're just the blue blocker. Because I was getting this massive eye strain, like two Mm -hmm. monitors looking at a screen all day, and I'm like, why is my eye like drooping? Well, I'm so tired. I should have never got the glasses that I got from the uh, eye doctor because they were so expensive. I took my prescription, and these are blenders. Which is just I have no like idea a, what that means. Yeah. They're a, a um, brand just a brand of glasses. Okay. They're super inexpensive. You can buy sunglasses for anywhere from like thirty-five to sixty bucks. And they have tons of great styles. I've been wearing them forever as sunglasses. And they started doing prescription. I sent my prescription to them and I bought prescription glasses for eighty bucks. Yeah. And it's got the scratch resistant, uh, blue light in them, everything. I'm like, dude, the ones I bought from the freaking eye doctor were almost four hundred. Yeah, it just shows you how much markup is in yeah. like inscripting a name on the side yeah. of the lens. You and know, I Gucci think actually the prescription in these, I think they got it better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't worried about selling you any, uh, you know, uh, branded sunglass frames. No. So I guess you know, we'll, we'll if we want, we can keep our our discussion of our old man eyes in the podcast. But we're rolling, right, Joe? Yeah, I figured as much, right? So maybe we'll maybe we'll just ingratiate <laughs> ourselves to our audience with our poor eyesight being old now. Uh, but Ryan, why don't why don't we go ahead and Ryan Miller? Let's go ahead and kick off the the podcast. How you doing, man? I'm good, buddy. I'm so pumped to be here. Well, I'm I'm pumped to have you, man. And I feel like I don't know if I should call you Ryan Miller or should I call you what the uh, tattooed Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> right? You're sharing. I, I have to ask you if you'll share the story real quick with me when we were having coffee a minute ago, you told me all about it. So what is tattooed Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. So, um, I was in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, uh, a few weeks ago, uh, speaking at a pharmacist, uh, conference <clears throat> and I was sitting across the table from this marketing guy and he, uh, he, he was just hyping up TikTok. He's got a pharmacist on TikTok that's got over a million followers. The guy's legit. He does this great job. He's like, you need to be there too. And he goes, as a matter of fact, you look like Ryan Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Y- you should you should be there. And I've heard that from time to time for probably the last 15 years at different times. I actually don't think it's as, you know, I look as much like him as people say, but I get it a lot from total strangers. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So anyway, so he goes, you should do that. And you, you should use that as, you know, and go on TikTok that way. And just, and I'm like, ah, I don't know. And he kept ribbing me for it. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. He goes, if you do it, it's going to hit. It's going to happen. So I signed up that night. I had already had a TikTok account, okay. just kind of more for fun, but I really didn't do anything with it. Used the, you know, handle tattooed Ryan Reynolds. Uh, and I started 
posting some content and it did not do anything that quickly. He's like, you're going to get a thousand followers today. That didn't happen. (laughs) Um, But we're like three weeks, four weeks removed and it's gone absolutely bananas. Well, you tell me some of the numbers and contextually, I'm not a TikToker, so I don't know how these numbers equate. I know TikTok is a platform that virality is... I don't want to say easy to get, but virality is what it's all about, right? Yeah. It's how, how much can we circulate a video? So give me some context number-wise of what that might equate to on another platform yeah, or so, anything. Um, you know, virality, from what I've always understood TikTok to be, is either you – it's a great dance, you know, yeah, or something yeah, yeah. like that, or the um, ocean spray cranberry guy skateboarding down the street, and he, you know, oh, he I went viral, one. millions yeah. and millions of views. Um, so that was – in my eyes, the way you went viral on TikTok. And I'm a pretty decent dancer. My wife would (laughs) validate that, but you're not going to catch me doing that, you know? Um, But I started posting content about a week and a half ago that was just near and dear to my heart, which is uh, just this destruction of manhood that we're seeing in the world today and trying to help men reclaim that. Um, I didn't get the audience that I thought I was going to. Instead, I got all of their wives. And Uh. it was... (laughs) fascinating to see to the point where this post that's about a week old has garnered over 400,000 views. Um, I have gone from 110 followers to just about 9,000 in that same week's period of time. I backed that up with some similar content up until just two days ago or three days ago. I posted one about reasons why men aren't having enough sex with their wives, which is a real topic that we should be talking more about in serious ways, not in joking ways. And I gave them four reasons why I wasn't in the past and what I had to do to change. And that one's got over just about 250,000 views in the same period of time. And what do you think? So one, it sounds like the guy that suggested you get on TikTok again is tattooed Ryan Reynolds. He might have been correct. I DM time, him. time frame was a little <laughs> bit longer than he said it would, but I, I'd say to say he's correct. But two, what do you think about that content struck a chord? Okay, so the first post, um, I think what really struck a chord was part, in large part because of the topic, because I was talking about. I believe that married couples need to have their finances together. I don't believe in a separation of lives. Um, and I, I can explain more of that, but for this, I won't for time's sake. But so I think that that topic struck a chord. But I think the other thing that it did was to all these women, they were realizing that they were being alienated from their husbands' lives mm-hmm. because their husbands wanted compartmentalization of friendships or of work or of their own quote unquote money. Like when we get married, there is no our own. We, the two become one. There's just no question about that. But then I started reading stories of women that were burned, that were manipulated, that were strong armed into never being able to touch their money or getting like divorced. Like when my parents got divorced, I was six. When my dad left, my mom didn't have a job. She took, took care of my brother and I, he cut up all of her credit cards. We had zero dollars to our name. And my dad made my mom buy him out of her half of the house or out of his half of the house. She didn't have money to do it and had to go to one of my or to her dad to borrow money just so we could stay in our own home. And so then right all the way back to today, that's the type of shit that's happening in marriages all across this country because guys don't take it serious and women too. Right. But I get to speak as the guy, like they don't take it serious. They don't really care that much. It's like, you're there to please me, to, 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 to be there for me. I will give you what I feel like I should give you. And 
again, I, I hate to overgeneralize this, but the mass majority of guys are just pigs and they are entitled. And so I think that there are unfortunately hundreds of thousands, if not probably millions of women out there that are living in the misery of marriage. And that's heartbreaking. And so here all these women are. I mean, even when I talked about this other one, which was why I believe men aren't having enough sex with their wives. And when I say enough sex, I'm talking about, I've been married, <coughs> married over 20 years and we're still having sex three to four times a week. It's really funny that we're talking about this in your podcast. You know, but, so, hey, I would fist bump people that we're too far <laughs> away on the table. But, but no, I don't want to stop you too, even though we've we yeah. obviously got a reason we're here. Like, I, I want you to please to continue because yeah. I'm glad we went down this line of uh, yeah. discussion. I mean, it's just right like, it, it, it bothers me that like, that's not a healthy expectation. Like guys want that, but then they're not willing to put in the work to get that. Mm-hmm. And work means like, are you actually having your eyes wholly on your wife? instead of staring at other women on Instagram or mm. out like there's women that are responding to me that like, yeah, my husband's a pig. Every single time a hot chick walks by, he's just like his neck snaps. And people think that that's like normal, yeah. right? Yeah. That's not normal. I understand that when an attractive woman, woman walks by, I am going to look at that woman and say, wow, right? That, that's, that's, you can't not do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in reality. But the fact that like, that's okay and we can just keep doing that. So like, that was one thing I'm like, eyes on your wife and your wife alone. See how your wife would respond to you in that way. I talked about like speaking well of your wife around her, like complimenting her, investing into her, sacrificing her for her, right? Serving her. It's not just about you show up from a long day's work and it's like, all right, jump in the sack, let's go. So that was another thing that I, I think that women are really struggling with. And again, this, this goes in reverse too at times, but I don't think in the same way. So those were the things I talked about. The other one, which was crazy was, how about just have this conversation with your spouse? It's crazy to me to think that there's so many people that have been married for any length of time, and it's uncomfortable to talk about your sex life with your spouse Mm. around expectations. Like I was a pastor for eight years, and when I would counsel young couples getting getting into marriage, we always talked about setting expectations around money and around sex. Okay. How often do you expect to have sex with your spouse? Not on the honeymoon, but 10, 15, 20 years right. from now. Because right. if one says, oh man, you know, if, if we can work it out to be, you know, once, once every couple of weeks, that would be great. And the other one's like, I'm expecting once a day. Yeah. I'm like, you're probably both a little bit off, <laughs> off yeah. Yeah. but you need to have that conversation, right. but they don't. And so how can you go into something so serious without, without having that well, conversation? Well, the, the point, I think the, the uh, subtext of that is communication, right? So it's Absolutely. like you get open communication, frank communication, honest expectations, setting. If you don't communicate, the other side of that is resentment, yep. feeling of lack, of guilt. Is there something wrong with me? Is he or she not attracted to me anymore? Yep. Whereas maybe you guys just have different expectations around those things. If you just talked about it, you can come to some sort of healthy compromise. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so just having that conversation. So it sounds like you've ignited conversations around that, which is is interesting to to think about, right? Because I know you, the performance coach, right? I know you as a sales guy. And that, you know, obviously that's what we're going to talk kind of at length today. But it's interesting, this, this part of you that I've started to see come out a lot more and you to be more intentional about revealing that part yeah. of you is also resonating quite a bit within the marketplace of ideas. So talk to me from your perspective, what's that like being known for one thing, but being passionate kind of about this other thing that's also gaining a lot of traction simultaneously. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by True Captive Insurance, a premier medical stop loss captive for employer groups ranging from 25 to 1,000 employees. 
True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal and insurance that isn't complicated. That's why they take a white glove approach, making it easy for employer groups to transition into a program built specifically for them. Check them out at truecaptive.com. Uh, I have been, you know, fortunate, I guess, over the last, I don't know, three or four years to be known for authenticity. You know, a lot of people use that word. That's fine. Not not everybody represents it well, but uh, I've tried to do my best just to be open and transparent. And so being authentic to me, part of that is I just am who I am. And I can't, obviously there's appropriate times and places to have conversations about certain topics or things. And, you know, when we're on LinkedIn, that that's a little bit more business centric. Whereas maybe if I'm on TikTok, I just get to go, you know, have yeah. fun and whatever, yeah. but I can't hold back being me no matter where I am. And, and, and on top of that, some people know my story, but I mean, my marriage nearly ended in divorce because I was on the verge of sleeping with another woman. And by the grace of God, that did not happen. If that event would not have happened, I would not be sitting across the table from you right now. Okay. What would you be doing instead? I don't know, but my life would absolutely not be the same because that event was what turned me into church. That's what caused me to come to faith in Christ. That rebuilt my marriage. That My marriage, my family is the fuel mm-hmm. by which I get up every single day to go to work and do the things that I do. I think that I would be a disaster. I think that I would be an extremely successful salesperson or owning a business somewhere, but I wouldn't be married to my current wife, you know, maybe remarry. I don't know. I wouldn't have had a second child because she, she wasn't there yet. Everything would be different. I don't think that I would have the same care and concern for people. Like even when we talk about this idea of, you know, men and marriage, I'm not doing that to condemn. I'm doing that because my heart is breaking over the fact that most of these men were never, ever brought up learning how to deal with their own emotions, learning how to communicate. Mm -hmm. And so then you think about that, like, you know, transitioning back to this topic of like business and stuff, we bring that into the business world and we're so broken. And so that's why I, I I try to bring my whole self into, you know, the, my presence, whether that's in a professional setting, speaking from the stage or on social media, whatever. I just want to bring my whole self because if I can't, then I don't think that I can do the job that I've been called to do. Well, yeah. And it's this weird thing. And I've, I've kind of seen an evolution of this for myself, right? It's like, you have this perception about what you're supposed to represent when you're in a professional world, yeah. right? And obviously there's etiquette, right? I yes. mean, I'm not going to be ripping my shirt off and doing uh, jello shots. I don't you know. know. It, oh, it, it, well, the Saya. shirt off thing. Yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe like... Know. But like, there's an etiquette, right? But it doesn't mean you have to be this completely um, vanilla version of yep. yourself just so that you stay within the boundaries of acceptable behavior. Yep. There's a way that, like you said, you bring your authentic self forth and you conduct yourself in a personal level similar to how you conduct yourself in a, a professional level. Yep. And there's not two different people that yes. people meet. Um, can you do that successfully? Of course, uh, obviously navigating culturally what we have to navigate right now. But can you be yourself in both environments? And people go, yeah, that's just Ryan. Yeah. I, I work with Ryan and I hang out with Ryan yeah. and he's the same guy. Yeah. That's that's the billion dollar question, right? Is it, can you do that? It totally is. But and I, how have you been able to do that? Was there a moment in time where you felt like, I'm just going to free myself up to be myself or what, was there not a epiphany of any kind or did it just slowly happen over time? Yes. So there's, there's definitely been 
a few iterations of that. Um, kind of the catalyst was um, after um, uh, being at Route 91 uh, in Vegas and the mass shooting. That, that was a that was. Yeah, a, I'm, I remember. Can you tell that story a little bit? Because I yeah. know you've mentioned it in passing, but I, I really would like to hear it if you're, if yeah. you're okay with sharing. <clears throat> so, um, you know, my life is on a great track. Things are going well. I actually, at that point, had stepped out of coaching and was working for a client in the EB space. So that's how I got exposed to benefits. Okay. I was leading their sales and marketing team. Um, my marriage is good. Family's good. Life is good. Yeah. Right? I'm making good money. Every, everything is just in, in, in well order. Um, so my wife and I and five of our friends, uh, we were uh, in Vegas at the Route 91 concert. October 2017, end of September, early October 2017, when the mass shooting yeah. happened. Yeah. Um, and my uh, my best friend's girlfriend, who was one of our closest friends, she was shot and killed that night. Um, so she was one of the 58 that lost their lives that night. Uh, my wife took a round of ammunition through and through her hat. It was on her head backwards, a trucker hat. and It, it went through the hat? Through the crown. It went through one or in one side through the other it grazed the inside of that foam and never left her head and never touched her head in the process just incredible you know um and so that event i went back to work about two weeks later i mean they were incredibly gracious like they just gave me as much time as i needed i mean we were just dealing with so much of our own ptsd and the loss of a friend and so they were amazing and so about two weeks later i go back to work and i'm sitting in my office the first day back and we were in newport we weren't on the coast but looking out towards the coast my floor to ceiling window in my office like it was beautiful and i said to myself what the hell are you doing with your life Mm -hmm. And it was so crazy because, again, I had prefaced that with everything was good. Yeah, well, so what, what was that like yeah. realization of what was wrong, what was lacking at that moment? It took me seven months to answer that question. Okay. And that was, I had an executive coach who was in his early 80s. He was incredible to work with. Then my wife, the two other pastors of the church that I was pastoring at the time, uh, and, and a few other close friends, and my wife. And I was trying to figure out what, why I said that. And the reality was, is I was not truly doing what I was called to do. Mm. And like, I was doing a good job for a good organization. We were doing good things, but it wasn't fully me. And it wasn't that anybody was holding me back. It was just, that wasn't what I was fully called to do. When, so when you say what you're fully called to do, did you have, was that, had that taken shape in your mind of what you actually believe that to be at that point? Just for the most part, yes. I, I, I really believe that because I had lived, and this would take hours to tell the story, I'm, I'm writing a book right now, a memoir, and people are actually really surprised to hear how many crazy things have happened to and around me in my life. But from the time my dad left at six to uh, being with a girl that was pregnant and taking that child on as my own, even though she wasn't at 17, uh, to uh, narrowly avoiding going to prison for double-digit years, uh, just so many crazy things that happen. But through all of that, I was living as this person that was trying to always be accepted. And it, it wasn't until even after I resigned that job in 2018 and was back out coaching for myself that I was working with another consultant. And he said, tell me how your dad leaving affected who you are today. And I tell him all the regular stuff, you know, left and abandoned. He goes, do you think that some part of you has been trying to prove to yourself this whole life that you're worthy? Mm. And I was just, I cried. Yeah. And it was like, oh my gosh, 
I, when my dad left, I was six and I couldn't understand, right, why he left. Like, I know it was him and my mom weren't getting along. He left for another woman, like whatever. But it was like this, this sense of like, why did we deserve to be left? Yeah. You know, my brother and I. Yeah. And so that's how I'd been living my life in with the wrong crowds, whether it was like getting into drugs and, or gambling or just all this, even, even this idea of considering cheating on my wife. Like that wasn't me. That was me trying to be something that I yeah, wasn't. Yeah. And so as I made that transition back out into coaching and it was still going to be sales focused and helping organizations to generate revenue, I knew that in the midst of that, I had to help people become who they were called to be. We waste so I mean, we're talking about social media, TikTok, like whatever. By nature, we are being conditioned to be anything but ourselves. Sure. And it's not that people are forcing us into it. It's just, it's, it's, it's attractive. This idea of, I want the success of Spencer on a podcast, or I want the notoriety of it, whatever. Like we, we just, we want those things. And so then we try to replicate their life, their behavior, and we can't. It's impossible. I can take from you and learn and grow, but I need to do it based upon who I am. Yeah. And so that was where that turning point was, was I'm going to go back out and I'm going to coach again, but this time I'm going to focus on the person. Mm -hmm. We're going to build process. We're going to build strategy. But if I'm not developing the people in the midst of it, I want no part of it. Well, and you're talking about social media, right? What, what that does is allows you to create the appearance of a life, right? To create the appearance of success, whether or not it actually is the case, right? Yep. The people that rent a Lamborghini so they can sit in yes. front of it for a picture because they believe... Oh, if I fake it until I make it, then yep. I'll eventually someday those two worlds will collide yep. and I'll be the thing that I told everybody I was. Well, so, so one yeah. thing to that, yeah. I just, I just want to, I just want to interject yeah, one thing. Like I a hundred percent agree with you. There's a lot of idiots out there that are trying to live that yeah. life. Yeah. I also think though, that there's a lot of people that with good intention are doing that too. Of course. No, I'm not saying you know, it's, I'm not, like, it's not an indictment yeah. on a character at all. It's more just, oh, well, that's what so-and-so did. And let me go, like we were talking about Hormozy earlier. Yeah. He's a great example. And I was going to bring him up earlier for another reason when you're talking about your father. He's a great example of also a guy that has this relationship with his father where he always felt, and he, he tells a story where he felt like I could never do enough to make him proud of me. Yep. So he's got this outsized um, perspective of what he needs to accomplish. And I think he, he even says it's, it's because I'm trying to, you know, make my father proud. Yep. And it's like, I got to be a billionaire to make him proud. Like I'm pretty sure. So he has a sort of a skewed perspective, but I think it's rooted in yes. growing up and feeling like he never actually amounted to what his father wa yep. wanted him to be. The other reason I was going to bring him up is there's a lot of guys that want to do exactly what he does on social media. But the thing that guy does is wear his wife beater, you know, or a shirt, right? I should call it wife beater, right? That's a, I'm a 40. So like that, that's a legacy term we use. And I think about that all the, all the time. Like, I can't believe that's what we called those shirts. So uh, an a shirt, but on top of that is the flannel, right? And yeah. he's got his cut off shorts and he yeah. does, he's on stage doing that. in in when he speaks, yeah. but he's doing that because like, He's like, that's how I want to dress, right? And so when you lean fully in, and I'm coming full circle with this, is when you lean fully into who you are and exactly who you're going to want to be, irrespective of what the rest of the world wants you to be, or worried about making them happy or their opinions of you, 
then you're free to actually be yourself. Yep. So sometimes it's literally just stripping away of the layers of facade that you've put onto yourself to try to pretend to be something. Yep. It's not you're a- adding thing to your character. You're taking away all the nonsense yep. and just being free to be yourself. So I, I hear a lot of parallels in what you were just describing and some of the things that I've seen people do. But at the end of the day, it's driving towards being authentically yep. Ryan Miller, right? Yeah, and I mean, a couple of huge positive outcomes that happen as a result mm-hmm. of that. And people mm-hmm. typically see these <clears throat> as they're being challenged into a journey like this. Number one is, if I am fully myself, I, I am giving myself the best opportunity to be fulfilled, right? Like w- when I can finally just be me. Now, we want guidelines and parameters. We want to make sure we have good character and integrity. We don't want to just like flippantly go out and do that. But I, I feel the sense of fulfillment. Like I get to just finally be myself. Mm-hmm. And that just feels good, right? So number one is this feeling. Number two is... If we can hone in on the things that make us uniquely us, we have the greatest chance for success in whatever that may be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that I think people actually miss out on is they think that by adopting the habits, discipline, skills, traits of whomever else, that that's what's going to get them to where they need to go. When in reality, like Goggins talks about this all the time, I'm going to focus on making my strengths as great as I possibly can and trying to make my weaknesses not as weak mm-hmm. or as strong as I possibly can. Like that, like talking about sales, like if I figure out how to be the best me, I'm going to crush it in sales. Yeah. Absolutely going to yeah. crush it. And on top of that, I'm going to attract the people to me that resonate the most with me. Mm-hmm. So then I'm, then I'm bringing the right customers to me. I am fully being me, which feels really damn good. And I'm firing on all cylinders, whatever those cylinders are for me that are, that allow me to produce at a much higher rate than I would if I was trying to be somebody else. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's really what it comes down to, right? Is if you just come into your job, um, without any preconceived notions of how you're supposed to act or, Oh, when I turn on the camera, I've got to be this guy instead of the guy I'm off camera. When if you kind of get rid of all that, you know, the noise and yep. have the signal is the only thing left. That's when I get that. I felt this um, kind of um, like everything's settled at a point in time yeah. in my sales career where everything just, I walk onto a meeting and if it's a big broker or a small broker, I, you know, when the zoom opens up, I'm, I'm the same guy yep. when the camera's off or camera's on or whoever the audience is. And so if I come into this going, Hey, I know more about plan site than anybody else in the world. So nobody else is going to be able to understand this platform better than I can. So I just, I know my stuff. I know yeah. what I do. And at the end of the day, if I just deliver myself and layer that with what obviously I'm, I'm selling, those two things end up kind of settling into this happy marriage, right? And there's yeah. nothing to think about. There's, there's no, nothing's forced. It, it all just kind of fl- comes into this flow state, if yeah. you will. That's but so that's good. the hard place. It's a hard place to get. So now let's, I think we've, we've had our one half of the podcast, you know, <laughs> now we'll move into the sales half of the podcast. But I think all that pretext of who you are is shaping how you've been successful and what you know, message you're going to deliver here today around sales. So where did you develop your skill set in the first place? Walk me kind of the early stages of your sales career. Uh, so accident. Okay. Um, so I was, um, I was big in my late teens into street racing. Um, kind of funny story, a a large group of my friends were some of the, uh, had some of the original cars and were original, like 
second tier actors in the first Fast and the Furious. So I was very no connected kidding. to that industry. Yeah. So I was big into that, uh, into that whole world. And I went to work for a company uh, that manufactured wheels for cars, high-end wheels for cars. And I was working in their warehouse. My buddy got me a job there. They had a job opening in the warehouse. I was doing like inventory and returns. And I mean, it was like nine months of just misery. Like I loved being in the industry, but it was dirty. I mean, that we're unloading containers full of wheels. It was just gross, right? Hot and sweaty. There's no air back there. Um, some people are like, please. <laughs> but um, I, I kept seeing inside. And inside, they were in air conditioning. They were in nice clothes. They seemed to be a lot happier in and there. they're smiling all the time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I went to the owner of the company. There was two partners in the company. And his name was Dennis. And I said, Dennis, I said, I want a job in there. And he goes, there's no job for you in here. That's it. And I just kept begging and begging and begging. And I think it took about four or five months of me annoying the living shit out of Dennis to where he finally gave me a crack. Okay. And so I went inside. It was an inside sales job. And we went out a couple of times a year to like the SEMA show and stuff like that. But I found my niche because I was a talker always. Like I talked still even now, but way more when I was growing up, everyone told me I talked way too much. So I love to talk to people. I love to connect with people. I love to build relationships. And I'm not super proud of this now, but I always had a way to convince people to do what I wanted them to do. Or persuasion. Yes. And what was it? What, what was your... I don't know. Okay. I, I really don't know. It was just, I could get people to make the decision that I wanted them to make. And there was probably, I don't want to say dishonesty, but manipulation, not in good ways early on in my career there. So I just found this groove and I spent um, quite a bit of time in that industry for three different companies. Um, I topped, I thought I was topping out in that industry. I mean, you couldn't, like, it was hard to make much over $100,000 a year in that industry. This is obviously also early, early 2000s. So that was kind of a lot of money anyway. Mm -hmm. um, I took a short stint. I went to work with a buddy of mine that owned a business in the industry, just a one-man shop. I went to work with him. Great guy, making tons of money, great work ethic. Unfortunately, right after I went to work with him, he, got, he went through divorce and that just fractured a lot. So we made it about a year. Uh, from there, uh, my stepdad uh, worked for this company that was uh, printing uh, blueprints or black and white documents for construction companies. So now we're into the early, early 2000s, 2005, 2006. And so it's the heyday of the housing market. And they are printing blueprints like they're printing money. I mean, they were running 24-hour shifts, seven days a week. It was so crazy. And their salespeople were killing it. And so I went to my stepdad one day and I said, hey, um, I want a job. And he's like, no way. Why did he say no way? Well, what do you think? he said at face value, and I believe this is the primary reason, was that he didn't want any nepotism. And so he didn't want to hire me because he didn't want to show the rest of the team that he was favoring me. Okay. I believe that that was the primary reason. But I'm sure there was a little bit in the back of his mind that saw who I was as a late teen, early 20-something and was maybe a little bit fearful about that person being there too. I got into a lot of trouble and he was around for a lot of that. So I told him, I said, if you don't hire me, I said, I'm going to go to the CEO and tell the CEO that you're costing him money by not, by not hiring. <laughs> Cause I knew the CEO because yeah. we went to like the company picnics and things like that. And he said, fine, if you want to do it, do it. So I called the CEO on my own. I scheduled a meeting. 
I went in for an interview with him and I sat down and the first thing I said to him was, I said, Chuck, I said, I just want you to know I've been trying to get Tom to hire me for the last however many months. I said, he wouldn't because he's afraid of nepotism. I said, I told him he's costing you money by not hiring me. He goes, all right. He goes, you got a job. He put me in a different region. So my stepdad was over all of Southern California, but based out of Orange County. So he put me out in the Inland Empire region, um, gave me a signing bonus, which was crazy. Um, and off I went. And for the next five years, I was in the top two of over 200 salespeople in that, in that company. For the majority of the time, I led a sales team uh, of a region as we were growing. Um, so that, that was all of the exposure. There, I, I was being bred to go out and run a division. So I learned how to manage a P&L, what a balance sheet was, how to actually run the operational side of an organization because we had 240 locations across the country and, or 250. So I learned a lot in terms okay. of leadership on top of the sales as well. Well, did you, did you ever have any formal training? So through that, particularly that five years at that organization, we did a couple of different um, week-long Ziegler trainings, Carnegie trainings. Um, so during that five-year period, I did that. Um, after I actually got laid off of that company, I was one of their top-earning salespeople. And after the crash happened, my boss called me in and, and cut me loose one day. I went to work for a competitor for a short period of time. And while working for that competitor, I went and did Sandler training. Um, so I had a lot of formal training um, at different times. Uh, you know. But did you, did, you, did you find that your natural ability and sort of inclination towards persuasion superseded some of the official trainings? Or did that just kind of supplement your skills? This podcast is sponsored by PlanSight. PlanSight is a technology for employee benefits brokers to more efficiently manage their RFP process for any group size, all funding types, and over 20 benefit lines and point solutions. PlanSight is the only end-to-end -end RFP technology on the market today. Let's modernize your RFP process together. Check us out at PlanSight.com. Yeah, I think that um, I ignorantly thought that to be successful in sales, you had to be an extrovert. That was, you know, the the wheeler dealer, yeah. always be Me too. closing. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Wolf of Wall Street, Gordon Gek, you know, like whatever, like all those kinds of people, not Gordon Gekko, but like all those types of people. Um, I, I've learned later that it's far different than that. So I thought that was what was carrying me and I, and I was good. So I, I was selling a lot and setting records and making good money. So I, th unfortunately my success blinded just how much I needed more training. I took the training seriously and I learned structure and skill behind what I was doing, but it was just kind of a supplementation instead of taking it seriously. Okay. So much so that uh, during the time that I worked for that large company, uh, we had a new CEO come in and one day he came to me and he said, Hey, he said, um, you, you need a mentor. And I laughed in his face. I, <laughs> really? Legit. I laughed. Yeah, yeah. I laughed. And I said, Roger, I said, you're kidding me, right? I said, have you seen my numbers? Just like that to the CEO. And that was it. I didn't, I didn't take a mentor. And I, I account that as one of my bigger regrets in my life, because yeah. I think that if I would have taken on a mentor or a coach at, I think at that point I was in my early thirties. Oh my gosh. I would have been well, way it, more Was dangerous. it your sort of, I don't know if you would call it arrogance, but your oh, yeah. confidence, would you call it arrogance? Oh yeah. Okay, so, I was cocky. I yeah. Was... But what do you, do you think that was holding you back? Yeah. Okay. And so why, yeah. why do you think you had that sort of hard headedness about this idea of having a mentor? What, what was it about that? Did it, did you feel that was a, 
somehow um, an indictment on your skills or something? Yeah, or? I mean, I think that, you know, at 20-something, at I was still immature, 24, 25, 26. So I think immaturity played a part. Um, I think that ignorance played a part. Okay. I think that it was a dent to ego that somebody else, how dare you tell me that I need help? I think that was it. And then as I, as I said to you earlier, I wouldn't realize this till so many years later, but I think that that was also challenging. This like, I don't need anybody else. I can do it myself. Mm -hmm. Like I've already been left on my own, so I don't need anyone's help. Right. Right. And so I think that all just played into this terrible, terrible place that I was in. And again, unfortunately, I was successful. Yeah. I, I, if I would have had my life blown up earlier, it probably would have been a lot more helpful. Well, we said that like you were successful, right? But perhaps you had topped out at what you could have achieved on your own, oh, yeah. right? So if you'd been willing to take on some guidance and mentorship, maybe that was that person's recognition that, oh, there's so much potential in Ryan and he could be here yep. if he would just take some guidance and some structure, right? But you've been so successful by yourself yep. that you felt you didn't need it. Okay, so when did you discover that you also had the skill of performance coaching other people. Like walk me up to how we got to that point in your career. So toward the end of the time that I worked for that large corporation, um, we had a sales trainer that was, he was a corporate sales trainer. So he was on payroll. And so he would come and visit us three, four, five times a year. Stan Jernigan was his name. Still talk to Stan till today. Um, and I was enamored by his approach how he could get us to jet he did like just jedi mind tricked us into doing whatever he wanted us to do but always for good there was never any ill intent with stan and i love that the way he could control a room i mean we were we were crushing it as a whole team and and yet he could always get he could always show us that we could do better i'll never forget like how how well he pointed out how poor time management was even in my own life and and i was so good at it you know so successful again um so i i was really interested in that whole idea of teaching other people sales mm -hmm. my dad was an entrepreneur at periods of his life so then i thought maybe at one point i would want to run a business anyway and so then, again, by God's grace, without really knowing that it was it at the time, um, when I got laid off, it's like I started interviewing with other companies and I came home from an interview that I got offered the job at for Xerox, I think it was. It was pretty good money uh, and potential to make a lot more. And I went home to my wife and I said, I don't think I can work for anybody anymore. Mm. How old were you at this time? That would have been 2011. So 33. Okay. And is that right? Yeah, that's right. And my wife was just so incredibly supportive. She's like, if you think you can do it on your own, you'll figure it out and you'll do it. Mm. And so that was November of 2011 was when I stepped out onto my own and committed to doing that. And talk about like how faithful and supportive my wife was. We had a home, so a mortgage. We had two kids at that point. Uh, she was driving a nice car. I had a car. We had some other you know, obligations. We had, because I had been laid off and because the market had crashed, we had no money. We had $500 in our checking account, no savings, no 401, nothing, yeah. literally 500 bucks. And she said, I trust you. I believe that you can make it work. And I went to work, man. Wait, so what did you do? What was the first thing you did on your own? So I started reaching out to people that I knew and saying, hey, I think I can help you generate more sales. And so I was supplementing that with, 
because I had come out of the print industry, I was brokering print jobs, like people's business cards and flyers and to just to try and make extra money. Yeah, for sure. And little by little, as I started to help more people, small business owners, some salespeople to get better at selling, I started to lean into that niche more. But it took me almost two years before I was making a living off of doing it. 2012 was literally the worst financial year of our lives. Going through that experience, right, where nothing was going right, what was it about your conviction that kept you going through the, the darkest parts of it? So... First off, I believed, I really, really believed that I could be good at that and that I could be successful. Secondly, though, was I was humbled to the point of, like, no end. Mm -hmm. And what what I meant by that was when we had nothing for the whole of 2012, we we couldn't afford to buy groceries some weeks. And remember I told you that I was the independent guy. I never asked for help. I wouldn't ask my family for help. Nobody, Mm -hmm. nobody could help me. I wouldn't want it, even if they offered. I had no choice. Yeah. And so as I was broken and we started getting gift cards in the mail from people at church, from friends, I mean, dude, like it was humiliating in the beginning. The first time that somebody sent us a $25 gift card to Stater Brothers or something like that. That's a Southern California grocery, grocery. store. Okay. Yeah. It was so humiliating. But then I started to realize that like if God that time we'd come to faith, if, if God was going to bring people to us that were going to help us through that season of time, I believed that I could put the work in to get us where we needed to be. Right. And so it was just this combination of being broken to the point of desperation and then a deep seat of belief. And then again, I'll go back to like my wife. My wife never, ever, at least to my face, failed or faltered in believing that I could do it. Yeah. To this day, like, dude, if, if we put pause right now and I called my wife and said, Hey, I have this crazy idea. She would maybe question some things. And then ultimately she would say, no question about it. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. I trust you. If you think this is what's right for us, I'm a hundred percent behind you. Awesome. Yeah. Man, you just described the hero's journey to a T, man. Like, you know, are you familiar with that? Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, and those, the folks that are listening that aren't aware, there's a you know, book called The Hero's Journey, but it's the archetype of the hero itself. For every story that you hear, you know, there's a kind of, I don't want to call it a formula, but there's a predictability about the, the trials and tribulations they go through, right? And oftentimes it's somebody that has this life that's going okay or going well, but at some point it all comes crumbling down. And the thing that comes out the other side, sometimes it's called, you know, the phoenix rising from the ashes, but the thing that comes out the other side is this reformulated new person that's better than ever before. But if you hadn't gone through that, that rough period, the person sitting across from me today would be a completely different person. But there's also something that I hear, and I have a lot of entrepreneurs on the, on the show is that. When you decide finally to go all in, yeah. where there is no plan B, there's nothing on the other side of this, there is no safety net, like you just described, you literally had 500 bucks to your yep. name, what other motivation do you need than that? Because yep. if you fail, everybody fails along with you, right? Yeah. Your house goes. Maybe your wife decides, hey, Ryan can't support us anymore, and I have, you know, I have to do what I have to do, whatever. Yep. So there's no going back. And so sometimes when you make that choice and then you commit to that fully, God, the universe, life, whatever you want to call it, seems to start moving in your favor. Yep. And it may not look exactly like you wanted it to. It may not look 
Um, it may not happen as fast yeah. as, as you want it to either. It's not. <laughs> but, no, but it's not. And it probably never is. Um, but it will happen. That's the yeah. thing, right? And you just have to have faith, right? And maybe even your first business fails, but all of a sudden you discover, well, you know what? Out of that, I realize I have a knack at doing this, and this is actually what I should be doing on the other side yeah. of it. But until you go all in, you don't know, Yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, that, that that's even, you know, today, right now, I mean... Um, I shared with you offline before this yeah. that, you know, 2018, when I went back out into business for myself, that was the most money I'd ever made in my life. 2019 surpassed that. 2020 during the pandemic surpassed that. 2021 surpassed that. I mean, I was, and I'm not talking, I'm not like making seven figures, but I was just making good, healthy money. And then 2022 hit. And because of some, uh, some work that, I, that I've invested into for long-term projects, I did get to this place a couple of times this year where I was like, I'm so frustrated. I'm, I'm still making decent money. My family's all provided for. Things are good. But I just didn't feel like I was making the progress that I needed to be making. And again, okay. some of that was outside competition, you know, just coming into my head. But then it was a lot of my own belief. And every time that I have taken a step back and been like, okay, what if this isn't it? What if this has been a season and there's something else? Mm -hmm. Whether it's praying to God and not audibly hearing his voice, but feeling it in my heart or talking to people that are close to me that have been a part of some significant part of this journey, my wife, every single thing convicts me to jump back in and just keep going. And so I'm telling you right now, like I have tried to pull the ripcord a dozen times in the last 10 years, for sure. And, and, and it's not like, I want to make a lot of money and, and I want so much for my family and for myself, but that's not it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that, that purpose that I have been called for is not complete. And so when you say pull the ripcord, uh, tell me what you mean by that. Yeah. Like just bail, you just know, bail just, on just what you've been out. doing this whole time. Right. Yep. Hey, that's a weird thing, right? I, I feel like I've felt that before as well. And it's almost as things are going well. And sometimes you get there and you go, well, this isn't exactly what I thought it would be, right? <laughs> right. You talk, they, it happens to athletes all the time. They get to the championship and they've reached the pinnacle of their, their field or their career. And they realize, well, well what's next, yeah. right? I guess I go try to do it again, yeah. but there's nothing above this thing. And is it exactly what I expect it to be? And oftentimes it isn't yeah. exactly what you, you thought it would be. And so what stopped you then from pulling that rep cord and going, no, what? No, no, just keep going. Like what, what was it? Yeah. I think, you know, again, a lot of it is, you know, the affirmation of others that know me well. So I don't, it feels good to be, to, to be told that you're good. Right. Of course. But the people that really, really know me well, when they're telling me that I cannot quit doing what I'm doing, I mean, I am fire hot, passionate, about the things that I'm passionate about. And they just know that. And so they'll tell me, you're crazy to think that you could ever do anything else. Mm. Like if somebody offered me a seven figure job tomorrow, I wouldn't take it. Mm-hmm. I would love the money. And it's freedom over way more right? money than I'm making right now. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I couldn't because of that. So, so a lot of that's been the outside world. The other thing too, though, has been this conviction in my own heart, which is why I say a lot of the things I say I need to continue to do me and be me, even when it's brutally tough. Again, like going back to Goggins, like that, there's this, there's this thing that he, t- he talks about in Can't Hurt Me, um, where um, he's offered, when he's talking about writing his book, he was offered like $300,000 for the rights to his book. I think that was the number. And he turned it down. And 
He said, the reason I turned it down, he said, it wasn't the money. He said, that's more money than I had ever seen in my entire life. Mm -hmm. He said, but he said, the medal that I wear is my life. What I have done and what I've accomplished for myself and, and, and for those that, you know, that, that he's impacting around him. He said, that's the one thing that nobody can take away from me. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't sell that for any amount of money. And that hit me because it's like, I believe that God created me in his image to reflect him to the world, but in the way that he's created me to do so, meaning this isn't, this isn't like um, cockiness. This is just the reality. Like nobody can impact and influence people in the world the way I can. Nobody can impact and influence the world the way you can. We are all uniquely wired. Yep. Some general skills and talents are the same, but uniquely nobody else. And so why would I risk going out into the world and living as that person for anything else? It's frustrating. It's discouraging. And, and, and I'm nowhere near the pinnacle. It's not like I'm like, I get to the top and I'm thinking to myself, oh, you know, things are good. That's the other problem, by the way. We talked about this earlier with social media. Too often people, and I, I, I wish I could find a better way to not portray this, but people will say to me like, man, you, you're so successful. You're doing so well, which I think is actually turning people off from working with me hmm. because they're like, he's good. He's got it. Maybe he's above me or may, whatever. I need clients. I, I need more work, a yeah. lot more work, right? Pour it in right now. No, but so, so, you know, I, I, I just, I still have so much more yeah. that I feel I am called to do. And if I was to, to, to step out of this lane, even for a minute, I believe it's costing me the opportunity to be able to do that. Well, yeah, and that's what Lester uh, uh, Morales was on my podcast way back, one of the early episodes. And one thing that he said to me that was really interesting, which I think parallels to what you're saying, is that he got offered a lot of money to go work for other people. Mm. And he's like, well, wait a second. If they're willing to pay me with my skill set that amount of money to do that for them, why don't I just go do it myself? Yeah. Because they're putting a value on my skill set because that value that they're paying me, I'm probably bringing three, four, five times the amount of value to the business itself. Yep. So why don't I just go do it on my own and reap all the rewards rather than sharing that and let somebody else rent my intellectual property and my so skills? So true. It was, a it was a brilliant epiphany, and it's what, you know, what has started him down the path of, obviously, his entrepreneurship. But I love when I see connection points between people I know, people I like, people that are successful, and you go, oh, that's a similarity. Yeah. That's a commonality among successful entrepreneurs is, is that type of mindset. I also like, you know, kind of bringing it back to sales a little bit. There's an artistry in sales. Yes. There's technical execution. There's process. There's soft skills in an artistry. And I like that, that you can combine the two because it's sometimes you look at a salesperson and you go, why is that person successful? Some of it's intangible. Some yeah. of it's these soft skills and interpersonal skills that you can't quite quantify. It's not that they made a hundred calls. It's that that person knows how to get in the door and has a high success rate of closing because they're persuasive. Yes. What, it's, it's things that you can't quite grasp. And it's like, oh, I, he, it's because he or she does that. It's yep. like, some of that is just them, right? Like that's that authenticity of the person themselves yeah, totally. that you cannot come fully replicate. But one of the things I do want to talk about with you, Ryan, is I know you are a process person. Yeah. You know how to technically execute on the things that a salesperson needs to do. So talk me through some of the processes that have helped you build what you've built. Yeah. So I, I, I try to practice what I preach from a sales perspective. And so it's been really important for me uh, to create a good identity 
in the marketplace. Uh, um, I, I think that we're starting to see a good resurgence of that right now, which has been great, right? Well, a lot of times we hear this word personal branding, but I think that that's been really good. So I think presence is, is extremely important okay. so long as we're uh, reflecting the right image of, you know, of who we want people to see us as, because that in the long term is ultimately what's going to get the most people to buy from us is if we consistently portray that image, people that are attracted to that person are going to want to be in our world. And so that will attract people to us. So long-term, again, like you, you think of people that are influential in this world. You talk about Hormozy earlier, mm-hmm. right, uh, on Instagram or he's, you know, YouTube too. We're giving that guy I'm not I know. a lot of free publicity, but we're if giving you are listening some... right yeah. now. Yeah. Send us some money. No, yeah. uh, but you either love him or you don't. Yeah. And so you're just attracted to like, he pops up on your Instagram feed. You're just going to want to listen. Goggins yeah. is the same way. And I don't agree with everything that Goggins says or does to his um, own yeah. body, yeah. but I love just his persona overall. So that's important, right? We're attracted to that first. So yeah. I spent a lot of time honing that skill for myself, okay. understanding who I am, which by the way, it still surprises me that so few people can actually answer the questions of who are you yeah. and what is your purpose? Yeah. That's wild to me. I know those are very deep questions, ideological, theological questions at times, but it's extremely important. So that's that's big for me is creating that foundation. From there then, you know, you have to have consistent habits of putting yourself out there, engaging and prospecting relationships. And this is where the rubber meets the road. It's somewhat easy to create an identity for people to see. Once we get in front of somebody, it's not that hard to practice our skill of closing the deal or showing off our, you know, uh, products and services and why we're good. But that in between engaging with and staying engaged with prospects, that's where most salespeople lose. Right. And that's where most organizations are losing right now mm-hmm. is they don't have a good process in place to reach out. So this is kind of funny. If you've ever been through any one of my group coaching uh uh, cohorts, or if you, you've coached with me one-on-one, you know this term. So I created something called the 21-Day Prospect Pursuit. And it's, and anybody wants it, you can find a way to get a hold of me and I'll be happy to send it to you. Um, but it's uh, seven outreaches. Sometimes we'll, we'll go to eight in a 21-day period of time. Okay. And that's a combination of phone, email, social, and snail mail, as well as in-person if you can get that. The goal in that 21 days is to get people to tell you yes or no. That's it. So yes would be, yes, I agree to an in-person meeting so we can sit down and have a proper introduction or a discovery of some kind, if we're going to go that deep or no, mm-hmm. like, tell me no. Yeah. The problem is, is most, if I have a list of prospects uh, uh, together, salespeople do, most of them are in this ambiguity with them. Well, I know who they are. I've reached out to them. I'm like, but what? Well, I don't want to bother them. Like they're probably not even looking at your stuff. Have you actually even tried? So the the biggest pushback I get when I introduce that into my clients is that's way too much too fast. Mm. And yet every single one of them that does that effectively has never, ever, ever that I've heard had somebody tell them that you were too much. They may have been told no, but they've never told them that this was too much. Yeah. And so that process or something similar to that is so important. And then inside of that, what are you saying? It's not, hey, I'm reaching out. 
Just following up. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, those are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you build a relationship and add real value, a term that's been bastardized so much, you know, in recent years, but how do you add real value into that relationship? To convince them that you are a human being worth having a conversation yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. So well, so I want to add to that if you don't mind, yeah, because I've please. experienced it from my own end. What we're what we both do with the podcast, right, or what we both do with content online, you get an opportunity to position who you are to a lot of people, right? And you never know who's actually going to see yes. it. But kind of in that twenty-one day prospecting process, some of that is being done for me by just positioning who I am and what I stand for, and my value system, and the things I talk about. Where I get yeses or nos sort of indirectly because of that, because I have people that come to me eventually because oh, I love the podcast. Oh, you, you taught me this. You helped me get a job. I've heard things like that, and it's like then I clicked on the plan site website mm. on your LinkedIn. Then I realized oh. That actually may help us. Yes. Then I come to you. The answer is already yes by the time I've got the demo scheduled. Yep. Literally, they asked me for the demo. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's that's happened quite a few times. So I'm, that prospecting process sort of has a layer of exponential awareness, as Andy yes. calls it, on top of it where you're getting to the yeses and the noes because the noes are just people that don't engage with my content yep. ever, right? The yeses are people that regularly engage. And then I go, oh, so-and-so for the last seven posts has been the top comment on the post. I probably should talk to that person yep. at this point. And Absolutely. then it's a yes as soon as... So you, you kind of... I don't want to say you replace your process, but that does augment some of that prospecting. Yeah, and I opinion. think that salespeople need to look at it or organizations need to look at it really in three kind of domains when we think of creating prospecting opportunities. So the first one is cold. Yeah. And I do think that there's still a place for the right type of cold Agreed. outreach. Yep. Absolutely. So that's there. So that's where that, uh, so that's where that 21 day prospecting pursuit was birthed was yep. out of that. Okay. Second though, to that is, um, what you kind of talked or touched on, which is the long game. I'm creating awareness. I have some multiple touch, some touch points that are out there over a period of time. Somebody's going to get to know me, like me, trust me. And they're going to reach out to me. I can't control those though. I can influence out there, but I can't control them coming mm -hmm. into me. So that's kind of the long game. We need to be playing that as well. And then the third one, which we have now layered the 21 day prospecting pursuit on top of as well is referrals uh, from centers yeah. of influence and clients. And again, this is one that exposes in a good way, though it hurts them in the beginning, exposes just how few good relationships salespeople have with their clients and with centers of influence. Oh, okay. So, but the referral, that's got to be the, the highest sort of conversion rate, right? When you get a referral. It absolutely yeah. is, but I'm even a little bit unconventional okay. here. Okay. So when I teach them to ask for referrals, I'm typically not asking them. So when it's with our clients and we have a good relationship with them, then I'm going to pick up the phone. I'm going to ask my client for a referral to somebody else like them or somebody specific. But more often than not, what I'm trying to do is create a spider web. Uh, so I'm trying to ask my centers of influence. So that could be carrier partners in this industry. It could be other salespeople that also sell into CFO or HR. So all of them, it could be friends and then even clients you can use this with too, I'm actually asking for introductions to other people that are like them. I'm not asking for a referral to the CFO of a 475 life group in the you know, Billings, Montana area. That's not it. What that does is, is two things. That reduces the barrier of entry. So it takes the pressure off of the person referring. They don't have to go find you an ideal client. They just have to introduce you to somebody else that they know. That's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Secondly, then, is that creates an opportunity for you to go into that next relationship or into that next conversation 
with that low barrier and develop that relationship to determine whether or not they're a client and or they're going to introduce you to somebody else. And so as you build out that web, eventually what pops up is prospecting opportunities. And so back to that 21-day prospecting pursuit, we will actually use, we'll build a version of that for centers of influence okay. where we're touching them, maybe not tw- you know seven times in 21 days, but at least once a week, we're adding value. We're making introductions. We're creating opportunities for them. And we're asking them for introductions to other people. And is there something tangible about the seven times in 21 days? Uh, there's got to be something quantifiable as to why that. I totally made it up, right. except for the fact that <laughs> if you read sales books, right? And, yeah. and there hasn't Isn't re- there one, though, and I, I'm sorry, I'm stopping no, you, go, but go. I, I'm, you know, there's a percentage of sales that have one touch point yes. and there's a percentage where two and it's a higher percentage for three and four yeah. and so most are 11 touch points or something yeah, like I think that. Right. Seven is the number, if I recall correctly, is the one where you get the highest likelihood for conversion to begin, Okay, right? To where they take the okay. meeting or okay. finally listen to what you have to say. So that was the beginning of it. But then what I, so that was the seven touches, the 21 days, it just kind of like sounded cool when I first created it, but it really compressed the urgency. Mm -hmm. And because we're changing up mediums multiple times over that 21 days, it doesn't feel like you're just sending seven emails in three weeks. And so there's a a lot that can go on into that. Uh, And at any time, if they respond to you, you pull the plug and you don't keep going anyway, right? I'm not going to keep saying that. But the condensed timeframe, Elon Musk, I think, said something to this effect, right? It's like, if you give yourself a year to do a project, you'll take a year. Uh You give yourself 30 days to do that project, you'll get it done within 30 days. Uh I was talking to Seth Denson about his writing process or preparation for going on stage. And oftentimes he's like... I spend three hours before the actual presentation or the night before I write it up. Cause he's like, I want to have that sense of urgency yes. and it's not a procrastination. It's like, no, this is the thing I need to do tomorrow or tonight. I'm going to prepare right now for that thing. And I'm only going to give myself X amount of time to so accomplish good. it. So he condenses it down. So it's super important. It's the only thing that's important at that moment yeah. in time. So you condensing that down to a 21 day time frame just creates an artificial, if you will, but a sense of urgency and a condensed timeline to get a yes or a no and move on. Yep. Right? So you true. give yourself 90 days, you're going to take 90 days to do the yes. same exact thing. And you probably lose some momentum at that yeah. time. How did, you know, we mentioned kind of the trajectory of your business in 2021 being kind of the biggest year and a change in 2022. How much did the virtual shift in the pandemic and things like that affect your business? Was it a good or a bad thing for you? We're on a mission to partner with the most innovative companies in America to fix health benefits one plan at a time. NavMD has created a blueprint that delivers world-class benefits to 155 million Americans. Better benefits starts with data intelligence. Our platform is empowering the next generation of advisors to zero in on opportunities to optimize the plan, build the right team, implement proven strategies and solutions. Join us on our journey to revolutionize health benefits. Let NavMD put you a step ahead. I mean, the pandemic smashed me in the face initially. So March, 2020, California shut down. My two largest in-person consulting agreements, which were actually in a different industry. They were in the dental manufacturing space, which was really funny, but um, cost me almost $19,000 a month in one day, one day. 
Okay. Uh, one of those engagements I had been in for 18 months. The other one I was about seven months into. And they just shut their doors, so I couldn't go in anymore. Mm-hmm. So that killed me. Um, but I snapped back so quick. Again, knowing my relationships with the right clients, I picked up the phone and I called two key people. I've named them so many times that... I'm going to get royal. No, just kidding. They yeah, helped yeah, me so yeah. much. Uh, but one of them was Jamie Hawkins with BTR, Benefit Technology Resources. So I picked up the phone and called her. I told her exactly what happened and asked her for help. Um, she referred me into some business pretty quickly. And then I called Richard Silberstein, who is a managing partner for Alera up in the Northeast. He's out of Baltimore. And Richard and I have been close for so many years. He's an incredible human being. And I think I was probably crying on the phone when I talked to Richard. Um, but he, he started referring me business. And so... It was a short-term, massive dip, right? The bottom just fell out yeah, on me, yeah. but I pivoted so fast, and I had some great people that were there to step up that it actually helped. And so also, because I had so much more downtime, because I wasn't traveling at all, that's when I started investing into some of these uh, products and projects that I've been working on. One was my Men's Coaching Academy, which it's been about almost two years in the making and we're really, really close to final product on it. It's crazy that it's cool. taken that long and a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other one, uh, which I'd shared with you offline. And actually this one is just kind of finally baked itself out over the last, even just till yesterday, uh, but is the SOS, the sales operator system. And, and again, same thing. If we would have been, if I would have been running at the pace I was in 2019, I would have never had the headspace to do this. Makes sense. Um, I'd have been generating revenue. And so that'd have been fine. And I just wouldn't have had the downtime. So I wouldn't have even bothered. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that you say that, right? And we had a little bit of a similar experience, right? Early on for us, meaning us being PlanSite, being a software company, that it still was scary, right? We yeah. lost our one and only client uh, during that time because we just launched in the market and we were going through the trials and tribulations of your first entrance as a so- piece of software in the market and having to manage two sides. And then also the pandemic happened simultaneously, and we're like, well, how do we go out and sell? How do we get in front of brokers? But what it actually did for us in the long term was reiterate the value of having the ability to collaborate in a virtual environment, mm-hmm. software that would allow facilitate that or foster that uh, collaboration, both broker and carrier side, and be able to do it in a cloud-based piece of software. I can log in anywhere in the United States and, and be able to do that. So long term, it helped. Short term, like you just said. Yeah super scary and painful and dark for a while, almost a ripcord moment like you were talking about earlier. But, and I I think a lot of people have similar experiences. It's not necessarily like, do we want to say what's the good that came out of that, but how did it alter our perception? How did it shift the way that, where we focused our energy, what ideas were born out of it? Like some of the things you just mentioned that you had this headspace, be able to actually curate those. There's a lot of things that we can take from that and it's going to alter the course of our careers probably for the next decade or so. Moving on to the, I think the end of the podcast in terms of time, and I'd be like, oh, dude, this is, I feel like there's so much more that you have to give, but that's also a good thing. So people need to call <laughs> you, Ryan, and actually work with you. But what do you see the future of sales being, right? I mean, like, what's your crystal ball say our industry or our job is going to look like in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, gosh, I wish I really knew. Um, so I have some thoughts. So one is, I'll speak more specifically to the EB space, okay. because obviously I'm sure that's where you know, a large percentage of the people are going to be listening will hear this. So the pandemic exposed, I think, um, something and, and please, I love you enough to say this to you. I don't mean this to hurt people, but like it exposed the fact that people weren't really as good as they thought they were. Ah. Um, you know, for the last 10, 11, 12 years, 
premiums have increased approximately 300%. Now, we haven't retained 100% of our clients over that period of time, but for every client that you've retained, you've gotten a 300% raise in 10 years. That's incredible. Pretty good. Right? That doesn't mean that you didn't do your job well. It doesn't mean that you weren't a great consultant. That just means that you did not have to generate revenue at the pace that most businesses had to over that same period of time. That also created a sense in all of us of laziness. Because business was naturally growing, we didn't have to work as hard to grow it. The pandemic punched us right in the face. All of a sudden, the bottom dropped out. We, we, we had long forgotten the 2008 recession. So our clients were disintegrating quickly. They weren't making decisions anymore. So even people that were trying to win new business, like they just weren't making decisions to move anywhere. And then we were forced to go sell in an environment that we had never been forced to sell in before. But what it actually, I think, exposed the most in terms of that was we had become so reliant on technology that when we were forced into it completely, we just, we realized how much we hate it. Yeah, yeah. And it's been a blessing, right? I mean, Zoom and whatever, you know, you, not in the Microsoft Teams, that's the worst ever. But like, Actually, uh, I think WebEx is my list. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah anyways, yeah, I mess, digress, but, but like, yeah. But we realized that while it was a blessing for a period of time, we missed that human-to-human interaction. Totally. And we had not honed those skills well enough to engage in a human-to-human manner for a long period mm-hmm. of time. Mm-hmm. And so now that the doors have opened back up for the most part and we're back out in the world, most people don't know how to go engage. And so I think that what this is going to birth, I'm really excited for this in business, but specifically in sales. I think that this is going to birth an opportunity to go eyeball to eyeball and hand to hand in a way that we have never seen in our lifetime, because most of our lifetime has has been so technology driven. So I see opportunities for people to go really build relationships again. Yeah. And that it's so funny you say that. I actually had the opportunity to go into broker's office just yesterday, right? And it's like you forget, oh, when you get there, oh, I've got to have the right plug in. Oh, how does their Wi Fi work? Oh, what does it take to get connected to the TV? <laughs> it's like you take for granted I open up Zoom and it works, right? Yeah. And I'm ready to go. And so you forget, almost forget how to operate in the real world, things that we used to do, right? That you sort of planned or expected for. You forget some of those things, like, oh, the technical thing of the plug might prevent me from being able to have yeah, a good uh, presentation. Like, Uh, those nightmares yeah and those that's a completely different problem but i think what it speaks to is there's a an excitement for me about getting back out and sitting knee to knee is the way i like to to position it but um the the ability to sit across from you or somebody over here or somebody over here talk to them engage with them read the room listen pick up nonverbal communication cues and things like that those are the layers that are missing over a screen that I crave to know yep. because it lets you know what are they thinking about what I'm saying? Do I have real engagement? If somebody shuts off their camera or turns off their microphone and I have a black screen and little muted microphone, <laughs> literally have no idea if they're eating a sandwich on the other side of that. Like, <laughs> but you could also like think about that. The audacity, would you ever do that in front of I another know, no person? Way. Like the things that people will do virtually that they would no. never do in person. Um, so I hope you're right. And I think you're yeah. right. We'll have a pendulum swing back. There's always going to be a layer of yes. virtual on top of it. Yeah. But I think people, you know, Scott Smith talks about this with True Network Advisors. Like he's so big on um, conference events and in person yes. and creating the best possible, like, uh, collaborative environment oh. for people. It's it's because people want it so Well, that badly. was like, yeah. um, you know, when we were in Phoenix. Yes, yeah. Uh, you know, for the e-powered event. It was a great conference, man. And, yeah. and part of it was, that was the first, kind of like, you know, 
coming back together party for so many people, definitely. But you just saw that richness that we all so deeply desired. So it was the right place at the right time. They did a great job. So I think, yeah, that, that's so big. And I think the other thing that's really important is, and this is something that I'm having to remind myself of is, you know, back to 2000, I don't know, eight or nine, when I laughed in my CEO's face, when he told me that I needed a mentor, um, I think I, I'm trying to consistently remind myself, which I told you I'm like in a hunt for a new coach right now for myself, but also I want to remind everybody else is this has exposed chinks in your armor. Mm -hmm. This has exposed deficiencies in your sales acumen and admit it, address it and get to work on it as quick as humanly possible. Because there are people out there that are going to work harder, that are going to outpace you and are going to beat you. Mm Don't let that happen by just ignorantly standing back and saying, I'm good enough. I don't need that. When it's the adaptability to your environment. I resisted Zoom for the first probably 60 days of going, nah, this is gonna, it's not going to be for real. And we'll go back to normalcy. And I'm like, oh, wait, we're not going back to normalcy. So I better figure this out or <laughs> I'm going to lose, right? And so even if I did, I was reluctant at first, you know, a little bit of a later adopter, I eventually went all in and I'm like, I'm going to master how to do it right here looking at a screen, yeah. right? Um, and so you have to, you have to adapt. So leaving, you know, kind of leading into my last question and well, let's leave it here. Closing thoughts, whether you wanted to just wrap up the show or advice to a salesperson or a young salesperson, I'll leave your, the floor open to you. How do you want to actually close uh, this particular episode? Man, we've talked about so many things that are just uh, we? so good. We're well over an hour, aren't we, Joe? I mean, this has got to be hour 10, hour 15. It's been a great, great episode, man. So I think that what I want people to hear more than anything is you have an opportunity to live the most incredible life. And, and I don't mean that in some pie-in-the-sky way. I truly believe that every single one of us has this opportunity to be successful. And that just success, right, to achieve a purpose that we've set out to achieve. Don't waste your life trying to achieve somebody else's success or somebody else's purpose. Figure out your own and go do that. And that's going to create the fulfillment you desire. It is going to create that sense of freedom that I think is so important for us all to have. And it's going to make you really damn good at your job if that's what you're called to do. And so that to me is the most important is figure that out and go live that. It's going to be hard work. There's no easiness to this life. Even when you love it, like you're going to have to work your ass off, but it is so worth it to go live that life. I'm not going to say anything else after that, man, Ryan, that was perfect way to end the show. And that may be the way I actually start the show as well. That was beautiful. So thanks for coming down here. I really appreciate you traveling down. I know you had other reasons to be here, but I'm glad you were able to work it into your schedule. And it's been a pleasure to sit with you, man. It's good, man. Thank you so much. I love it. Likewise. Bye. True Captive believes in healthcare that is personal an insurance that isn't complicated. Check them out at truecaptive.com.